being a part of this film is like being a part of a championship ball club. It's very rewarding. We wanted to make a film about ordinary people, about uh, people you can you know, uh, you know relate to. It's not about a superhero. It's not about a, a guy who's invincible. It's about a guy who is uh, just the opposite of that, a guy who's very uh, vulnerable. And uh, I think people really respond to that. There are a lot of payoffs in you know the film for the audience, I think. And uh, I think Die Hard really satisfies the sense of justice for uh, you know, you know for the average guy. The voice you just heard was that of the actor Bruce Willis talking about his 1988 film Die Hard based on the 1979 action thriller novel by Roderick Thorpe called Nothing Lasts Forever which sounds a lot like a James Bond film. Welcome to the Adapted to Screen podcast, a podcast where we take a book and its on-screen counterpart and we dissect it, take it apart and hopefully have a bit of a laugh in the process. And joining me to do all this, I have with me Phil McCulloch. Richie the Body Armour, how are you? I'm okay, I'm okay. It's It's been a while. I wasn't sure that this was going to happen again, but here we are. Well, I think, well, it's probably just down to the fact that you're far too busy to be doing a podcast really aren't you let's face it but um i think we've had breaks before this is like the beginning of season three now isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah from halfway through the year and it's the beginning of season three but yeah um, <laughs> i mean i want i want to say i'm so busy but and i, I mean the, the podcasts that i did they are time consuming but i think it's just bad time management if i can sort that out i think we'll be sound and get try we'll get and get something more reg try and get something more regular this year and sort next yourself year. right out sort myself right out so yeah, Phil, we're doing uh, we're doing the book Nothing Lasts Forever, which could be confused as a Bond movie, and the book and the, the film Die Hard. How exciting! Was this uh, an, an adventure for you? Have you do, have you done these before? Done what before this podcast? Now the the uh, st- the book and the, obviously you you've probably done the film before, but the book is this new to oh, you? No, is it a no, new no, adventure? No, yeah, no, it was. Yes, uh, I haven't read um, I haven't read Nothing Lasts Forever forever for forever ever. Forever, 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 ever. <laughs> so no, so yeah, it was, um, it was, yeah, it was the first time for me, uh, which is strange for this podcast because I seem to have read everything previously. But yeah, no, this was new for me. What about uh, 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 Richard? The question is, did you even know it was a book? Of course not. I don't think many people do. <laughs> I don't think many people do. And I'll be honest with you, Phil, it's the first time I've watched the film. Get which out will probably of it. be a shock to a lot of people. Yeah, no, it really is. Yeah, get out of it. You know, actually, I know there's been a there's been a couple of times I think where it's been the first time you've watched the film. But uh, I uh, I started watching. Um, well, I was at a hotel one evening uh, for work. Well, not I wasn't in a hotel for work, but I was at a hotel because I was working away. And um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off came on, and I've never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh before. my god. No, 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 just because I don't, you know, it's just one of those, you know, just... No, no, so it's just the same as me with the, with this film, I suppose. And But but you know what? I found that really boring. I was so Did bored. you really? Yeah, I was like, within 15 minutes, I was like, this is killing me. No, maybe, maybe again, it's one of those that you've, you've come into it too late. You've come into it too <laughs> yeah. late. If you'd have grown up with it, it's like Dumb and Dumber yeah. now. When I watch Dumb and Dumber now, I think that is... 
actually a bad film, but as a kid, it's just stupid enough for me to appreciate it. You know what? It was it was too stupid for me. I always I always had an issue with uh, Inspector Gadget, the cartoon, because he was so stupid. I mean, how was he an inspector? I couldn't even tell that it was his dog. Like, mate, it's a fucking dog. It's your dog in your house. How do you fucking think it's a mad agent every time? Anyway, okay, so uh, so this is interesting then. It'd be uh, your your first viewing of the movie. It is, yeah, it is. And uh, I would say most films from the 80s, coming at them for the first time, I'm not going to like the majority of the uh, films, especially action films, because they don't age well. But um, this aged perfectly. It was really fucking good. Well, you know what my unpopular opinion is? I don't think it's that good. Although... Although when I watched it again yesterday, I was like, actually, it was very good. And you know the reason why I've decided it's very good? Well, number one, because it's got some really good actors in it. Okay, so it's really, really well acted. But I just thought Alan Rickman was like the bollocks in this. He really was. It's like, I think it's it's very rare that I actually like the villain more than I like the hero. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I struggled with Alan Rickman because oh, really? he just sound. Yeah, he's, firstly, it's the only film other than Harry Potter I've seen him in, so I just kept expecting him to pull out some sort of wand and shout Expelliarmus. <laughs> you dickhead. And um, he, I don't know, it was his voice. He sounds... So theatre. He sounds like he should be on stage rather than on screen. I think this was his first movie. I think you know, it was, obviously yeah. he'd been doing yeah, he'd been doing stage stuff and he was kind of convinced to do it. He didn't really want to because he thought movies were beneath him. But obviously it worked out well for him. But I think for all the reasons you've just said, I thought that you know, because like if you look at if you look at the you know, he was cool, he was calm, he had great hair, he had a great suit, he never lost his rag, you know, it was calculated, but he was also at at the bones he was completely vicious even in the bits where holly janeiro says can we put her on a sofa he's like no but i'll bring one to you yeah no, just just those just those little bits where like he's not gonna yield it's my way or no way but i'll take your idea on board and i won't have to kill anyone for the next five minutes yeah I thought it, yeah, no, so yeah, it was good. It was a good film. It didn't, it didn't feel like quite like the cold-blooded killer that he was portrayed as in the book. I, I kind of pictured somebody who looked a bit more like Billy Idol in the book, with just a, a more punk ethos <laughs> who didn't, just wanted to kill people because he just fucking loved killing people. Well, well, it's funny you should say that, and obviously we're going to talk about it in a bit. But um, I think the complete lack of a villain in that book was a bit disappointing, to be honest. Mm. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, so we'll uh, kick things off as we always do, Phil, with uh, the author's bump. Author's bump. So, nothing lasts forever was written by Roderick Thorpe, uh, an American novelist specialising in police procedural and crime novels. He had several novels: Into the Forest in 1961, with The Detective in 1966, which was then turned into a movie starring Richie. Sorry, what? Uh, his second novel, The Detective, 1966, was no turned into a movie in, uh, starring Frank Sinatra. Oh. Who played Joe Leland. So, Nothing Lasts Forever, which came out in 1979, was not a sequel to The, De- to the Detective, but it was another Joe Leland adventure. So back in back in 1967, when Frank Sinatra came on board, he had it in his contract that he would play the character if there was ever a sequel. And obviously, when it come round to what was it? What was this? 1989. Uh, 1988. 
Oh, not in out. Yeah, he was offered the part because it was contractually contractually obliged to, but turned it down because he was far too old. And then it ended up being Bruce Willis. Another little fun fact that you might not have known, uh, Richie, but this script or this book was going to be the sequel for Commando. Okay. They were just going to switch it around a little bit, you know, John Matrix visiting his bird and whatever, and yeah. it all goes pear, and it would be Arnie doing all the bits as John Matrix rather than John McClane. It's three completely different movies there, isn't that? Can you imagine it? One, one version with Frank Sinatra, the version that we've got, and another one with uh, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it would have been uh, quite funny. Although, uh, although I did, I did giggle yesterday when I rewatched it, uh, and he'd and he'd mention uh, there was a mention of Schwarzenegger in the film. Bruce Willis mentioned Schwarzenegger. Yes, there was. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd have had, you'd have had a proper Arnie style action film. Uh, if he'd have done it, then you'd have had what we got with Bruce Willis, which was like a, the everyman. He's no nothing special, just an every everyman. And then mm. the other version with Frank Sinatra would have been more like a the, the original James Bond type film, I think. I think so, and I think I think it would have been less hide and seek if it was Arnold, because it was very much a hide and seek, wasn't it? Yeah, it would just just run around shooting shit out of everything. <laughs> you would have had thirty terrorists. And not twelve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I need I need to kill them all. <laughs> yeah, and he'd have been swinging around on the chopper. <laughs> yeah. Um. Actually, it's quite funny. Um. I'd thought of a new title. Well, actually, my daughter yesterday when we was watching it, uh, thought of a new title: "Silent Then Violent," because it was just quiet for loads of times, and then there was just like explosions of action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Silent, then violent. Anyway, back to the author's bunk, because we haven't finished there, really. Um, he'd also, uh, from his novels, filmography, The Detective, which we just mentioned, Die Hard, uh, also Rainbow Drive and Deep Down. Have you read any of those books? Uh, no. I don't think I'll be going back to any of his previous works. I am i wasn't a fan of his writing, if I'm being honest. Well, well, in our next episode, which we never know what we're going to do next, we are going to do First Blood next. But this book and First Blood, both written in the 70s, it's got a certain style to it, I think. Something that I haven't really noticed before. I struggled to follow his writing. It's like, in his head, he had this amazing vision that was brought mm-hmm. out in the film, which was perfectly done by yes. Bruce, Bruce Willis. Yeah, and it, yes. and it, it's like he knew exactly what he wanted and he tried to put it down on paper, but he, he just couldn't put over to me what he was thinking and he was trying to go into so much detail I just kept getting lost I was struggling so hard it's like when he's going about clips and stuff on guns and this clip's going to do this and this clip it's like what the fuck is going on here I can't picture what you're picturing there's a lot of times actually I I feel exactly the same way and I'm glad you've said it because I just thought it was me being stupid but there's parts in in a lot of books especially the Jack Reacher books where like he's describing fight scenes and I'm like well I know what a left hook looks like and I don't know yeah. what a right cross looks like, but how's he got him upside down, back to front, and his head butting <laughs> his knee? Like what? Like how's he done that? And then I reread it again. I'm like, no, I still can't get this. So yeah, no, there was there was a few. Like I, I understand what you're saying. I do understand what you're saying. I needed the film to understand the book after reading the book, and that you see some of the scenes, like where he's in the elevator and he's hanging off the gun with the strap, and, and then suddenly everything that was in the book suddenly clicked into place. I was like, oh, that's what he's fucking doing. That makes sense now. I didn't get that at all. 
I think maybe it was easier for me because I've seen this film dozens of times. So when he's yeah. describing those bits, I can refer to that, if you know what I mean, where I suppose you've gone you've gone the opposite way, haven't you? I think in future it's going to be easier for me to watch the film first and then and then read the book. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's a bit exciting. I mean, I'd be excited if there was a book that I hadn't seen the movie to. You know what I mean? Mind you, we did that with The Circle. I hadn't seen The Circle. And then yeah. I think, yeah, so, you know, yeah, no, it's exciting when you haven't seen the film. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the author. Got anything else on him or is it... Daddy. No, 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 that is, there's nothing else to mention, really. That's about it. Oh, uh, he died in 1999. Oh, did at he? The age of, at the age of 63, yeah, so. Uh, oh, dear. Very early. Mm. That's why we couldn't get him on the podcast then. Wow, yes, Richie, yes. Yeah. I had thought of that joke, but I had a thought it was incredibly bad taste and wasn't going to say it. But I'm glad. I don't didn't. think he's going to complain. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Right, then, so we'll move on to the next bit. We're going to uh, go on to the synopsis of the film and the book. Do they differ and all that? So. Okay. Yeah, do right, you want to give us do... a brief synopsis of it all? All right, should I do my uh, film review voice? You sure. All right, let's see. All right, I'm, uh, I'm feeling a bit poorly, but let's see if I can get it. A New York City police officer tries to save his estranged wife and several others taken hostage by terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. Brilliant. Sound like you got throat <laughs> cancer, but brilliant. This summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. That's it, yeah, that's it. Leland, is it Leland? Leland in the book. Yeah, so Joe Leland in the book and John McClane in the film. So really, I suppose we have to call him, well, what do you want to call him? We'll call him Joe because Joe's, if, if we're following the book, we've got to call him Joe, haven't we? Yeah. Before we go on, let's mention the cast because uh, the cast is always important. We've got Bruce Willis as John McClane. We have Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. Bonnie Ben. Delia as Holly Gennaro McLean, and then everyone's favourite 80s and 90s cop Reginald Val Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell. Uh, we also have William Atherton in there as well, uh, as well as Clarence Gilliard Jr., who plays the computer tech Theo, who most people will probably recognise from Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, and also everyone's favourite 80s and 90s henchman, Al Leong. It was also directed by John McTiernan. Uh, I hope I've said that correctly. Uh, yeah, McTiernan, uh, who also, uh, a year before Die Hard, directed Predator, also directed Hunt for Red October, The Last Action Hero, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Quite a good list to his name. He's actually only got 12 directorial credits, uh, believe it or not. But um, the good ones, <laughs> well, actually, some of them are a bit rubbish. He's got Thomas Crown in Affair and the Thirteenth Warrior, uh, and but like, yeah, no, he's gonna be, he's gonna be hardcore. He's chosen his work very well. Mm. So uh, we're going to move on to the differences between the book and the film. So as stated, the uh, names uh, Leland and McLean. Um, on about Hans Gruber, is his name Hans Gruber in the film? Uh, it's Hans Gruber in the film, and it is. Anton Gruber in the book, but actually, I just and I'd made I'd made this note. It's Antonia Rojas because he's a, a Chilean, not a German, but uh, he goes by the name of Anton Gruber. Okay, so he's either Chilean or uh, German, because Gruber that's very German. But mm. in the film, he's very, very British. Clearly British, so British, and everybody around him, they're all German. Well, yes, so 
if you've, which you haven't seen Dogma, because you said you've only ever seen him in Harry Potter, but he plays a character, he plays like the head angel in Dogma, and his voice is like his normal voice, very British, like what you'd expect from Harry Potter. And I, I don't know whether he was self, either self-conscious in the movie or whether he was doing an actual proper, for instance, let's just say uh, West Berlin accent. And we are, we are just used to the Viz and the Piz, where he strayed away from that and did something a lot more proper because he's a proper actor and he can do a proper voice. Although you did hear his British voice come out quite a lot. Even 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 when he was doing the fake American <laughs> accent, you're like, fuck, you know, mate, how British do you need to be? But but let's not knock him because he's a brilliant actor. Yeah. I mean, like the scene in the film when I was watching it last night when uh, McLean catches him and um, he pretends not to be who he is. And he's been listening to him on the radio. That voice is so distinct. Even though he's trying to put on a different voice, no, it's obviously yeah, but then, you. But then John knows that straight away though, doesn't he? He's not stupid. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so we can yeah. allow that. He hasn't fallen into the trap. So it's allowed. Mm. Uh, what else uh, is different? So Joe Leland is going to visit his daughter and John McLean is visiting his estranged wife. So uh, there's yeah. two differences. The names are the same, as in the Gennaro. The Gennaro name is the same in both book and movie. But the other differences are in the book, it's the Claxon building and not Nakatomi Plaza. And obviously there's a few additional characters that you get in the book that you don't get in the movie, i.e. the cheeky little air hostess and a couple of other people on the outside. And really, to be honest, let's face it, the book and the movie are two different things completely. It's it's like watching a director's cut of something because don't forget, in the book, there's no... The only time that you ever see or hear from the bad guys is when they're communicating with Joe or when Joe is listening in. It's not like in the movie where like, you know, John's upstairs trying to get attention, then it cuts to downstairs and the ha- and the bad guys are having a conversation. It's all from Joe Leland's point of view. So there's a lot of the book when I'm reading it going, what are the bad guys doing? Like, what are the hostages doing? Like, there's it's just Joe walking around and talking to the coppers on a radio and, and killing people and... Like, we don't know what the bad guys are planning. We don't know what state the hostages are in. We know there's children there, in the book, of course. You know, uh, any hostages being killed? Are they, you know, what is... And we also don't know the plan. We have no idea. I kind of got the plan. I ca- I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I got the, the idea, I think. Yeah, I, maybe it was later on in the book. It was to do with the bridge in Peru. Well, actually, it was a... Uh, sorry, in Chile. It was to do with the, the bridge in Chile and it being a bit corrupt and this, that, the other, and they wanted the money back and all of that kind of bit. And in the film, it's a bridge in Indonesia, but that's only there as a reference because they're just there for all the money in the film. The question is, Richie, the question is, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Well, no. Do you know the formula to decide whether a film's a Christmas film or not? Whether it's mainly about Christmas? No, that's not the formula. The formula is, if you can take the plot from, say, because it's Christmas Eve as an example, so you take the plot from Christmas Eve and you put it on any other date and it works exactly the same, then it's not a Christmas film. So if you take this scenario and you put it on, I don't know, August the 20th, is it exactly the same film? Ah, no, 
And the reason why it's a no is because they're doing it on Christmas Eve because when they escape, when their plan goes ahead and they manage to escape, all the streets are empty. Everyone's off enjoying themselves. There's there's less police presence and so on and so forth. So they've actually done it on Christmas Eve on purpose. Also because they knew that there'd be a party and everyone would be there that they needed to get the information out of. Couldn't the film have worked on July the 4th? Uh, no, because July the 4th is more of like a massive celebration, even though Christmas is a massive celebration, what you have to remember is, you know, there'd be street parties. It's more indoors. Exactly, yeah. You know, people are in church perhaps. and so, But like 4th of July, July the 4th, you've got fireworks everywhere. Everyone's about the, a big police presence because everyone's out on the street, so on and so forth. So the argument is that it is a Christmas film because it's set at Christmas for a reason. Okay, whatever. You don't have to get moody about it. <laughs> <laughs> The way, the way I the way I see it is, if it's a Christmas film, can you can only really watch it over Christmas. I wouldn't watch. I, I could watch this film any day of the year and enjoy it. I wouldn't watch. I don't know. Home Alone. It's you can watch that any time of the year, though, can't you? Really? Yeah. Right. Unless you're going to watch one of those Hallmark movies that are just based about Christmas, you can't watch that in August, can you? Because you ain't got the feels for it. Ernest Saves Christmas. Yeah, but that's because it's set at Christmas. You can't have Ernest Saves Christmas in August because it ain't fucking Christmas, is it? No, I'm I'm arguing the point, but my Christmas film that I go to every single year without fail isn't a Christmas film. It's Harry Potter and I watch all of them every single year uh, in December. Not a Christmas film. So I I don't know why I'm arguing the point. Do you know what my favourite Christmas, my my favourite go-to Christmas after Home Alone is? Santa with muscles. Never heard of it. Oh, it's, mate, it's it's fucking shit, right? It's about Hulk, Hulk Hogan. It's a Hulk Hogan <laughs> film. It's so shit. Basically, Hulk Hogan's, I don't know, he's some geezer. He gets banged on the head or summer, and then he believes his father Christmas or something like <laughs> It's so stupid. Yeah. So stupid, it's actually oh, quite no, good. So it is. Like Brain Dead. That, that film was so fucking stupid, it was good. I don't think I've seen Brain Dead. Anyway, we are digressing. We are digressing. Uh, yeah, so, right, so, yeah, so differences. In the book, basically, there's a whole, there's about four or five chapters before he even gets to the building in the book. There's a taxi ride on the way to the airport. There's an altercation with another driver where Joe Leland pulls a gun on the geezer, uh, gets to the airport, tells the old Billy's pulled a gun on someone and they might be coming all ragged up. Uh, gets on a plane, chats up the air hostess, then gets to the other end of his journey, gets picked up in a limo, which actually, that's where the movie starts. The movie starts with him landing the plane and also given the idea from a passenger about being barefoot and that's how you get over jet lag. You've got to be barefoot and you've got to walk around on the carpet and so that's why he ends up with no shoes on. Whereas in the book, it's something he already knows and he does it when he gets there. And that's how he ends up with no shoes on. Now, the no shoes thing kind of, it was like... I struggle with that. Slightly, because it doesn't serve any purpose in the book, I don't think, particularly. I I think it does. I think I think it adds to the uh, the edge of your seat, uh, squeaky bum time thing. It was the only th- one, one of the few times in the book I, f- I felt a little bit of um, something no, for the, him. In in the book, the first bloke doesn't have shoes that fits him, but the second bloke does, so he's got shoes then. And then uh, yes, and you're right, and you feel a little bit better once he's got a pair of shoes on because you know you, know, you, you do. do. But in the mood, right? And I, and this is what wound me up yesterday, right? So the first person that John McClane kills, right, is a six foot five German. 
Yeah, he's definitely and, got shoes big enough. And and Bruce Willis <laughs> says, you've got feet smaller than my sister. I'm like, mate, your man's six foot four. How many six foot four people do you know who have got a, a foot size smaller than a ten? You're five foot eight. <laughs> Get to fuck. But no, yeah. No, that is a big foot. In fact, if you can find uh, some sort of bio on the actual actor, I'd put good money on him having size 12s. All day long, mate, as a minimum, as an absolute minimum. But yeah, I, I don't know where we were going with that. Oh yeah, we're going with the uh, the shoe thing. There was a bit of a difference there. And obviously when the limo driver drops him off in the book, the limo driver just goes home. Whereas in the movie, he stays behind. And I think that was for a bit of comic effect because there was a few little there was a few little funny bits yeah I mean even his involvement it added nothing to what the the end of the film him just ramming that va- that van I don't think it made a difference because they weren't down there waiting for him anyway I think yes and no I think I think to be honest I think in the what the five or six scenes that the limo driver was in that was probably the funniest bits in my opinion, I actually, I thought, I thought their conversation when he's going, ah, oh, fell out with your missus, have you? Oh, I didn't think she'd keep the job, did you? And it's just like, that's quite funny because you don't know who this geezer is and you're just like giving him a hard time about his fucking shit relationship. Yeah. And then he's like, hey man, I'll, I'll, I'll whip the hand for you. And then he's just like, you know, and then every time you go back, he's in the limo, he's drinking or he's watching the telly or like you see the cop car behind him getting shot and stuff. And I just thought it actually is a quite, a quite a little funny bit. You know what I mean? There's a, a little chuckle in there, which I thought was, uh, but obviously in the book, when he gets to the towers, he notices the bad guy straight away because he's Joe Leland and he tells the man on reception, <laughs> you better watch out. So there's that. But I think everything else kind of, they really took a lot from the book and put it into the movie. In the book, he goes up, he goes into the boardroom and he speaks to his daughter and the owner and Ellis, who Ellis is in in the movie as well. And I did write a note going, Ellis is a much bigger dickhead in the movie than he is in the book. Because actually he's not a bad person in the book. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Uh, but I also like that, that they looked exactly the same. It was like, Uzuya, <laughs> I did enjoy that, and like the cocaine references that were there in the book. The fact that he was trying to get a bit of Holly is uh, sorry because her name's Stephanie in uh, in the book. Uh, Holly in the movie, he's trying to get a bit of her. That's the same in the book and in the film as well. Yeah, in the book and the film, I, I found McLean to be more of a, a hard man and more of a more more of an action hero. Whereas in the book. He was he was the everyman and he was scared shitless all the time. His heart was going ten to the dozen and he was worried and he kept beating himself down. I'm going to run out of luck. This is all luck and I don't know what's going to happen. And it felt like a normal person in the situation. It, it obviously dealt with it better than most normal people would, but it didn't feel like the, the action hero that, uh, that McLean did in the film. Which made him more relatable, I think, in the book. I think if we look at if we look at Joe Leland, he's a, a decorated war veteran and a decorated police officer who's retired. So he's seen all the action that he needs to see. And there was a lot of references, you know, when he was doing like for instance, uh, there's a there's a part where um he breaks the geezer's neck and he's like thinking back to his training with the FBI were going, This is how you break someone's neck, so on and so forth, you know. So he was always reverting to his training. I thought that Joe Leland was a lot more prepared than what John McLean was, especially when it first kicks off and he manages to get away. 
And he's like, think, John, think. He's like, I don't I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do? Where I think Joe was a lot more calm and because he's experienced it all. I don't think he was. I mean, the first person gets killed, he shits his pants and runs off. He panics and runs off. He says, oh, yeah, I've seen many people die, but I've never seen anybody killed in cold blood. And he panicked mm, and shit himself. And then when he killed the bloke by breaking his neck, he pissed himself. Yeah, no, that was the bloke. No, 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 no. In the no, book. No. The bloke who he killed... They both did. I think he said he relieved, almost relieved himself. I read that as the victim relieved themselves rather than he did. I read it as no, they both well, did. Uh, well, perhaps. But there was lots There was lots of the book in the film that really ran concurrently like that scene. There was the bit, because, and that's what I'm saying about the book, you only ever saw the bad guys doing something if Joe was there to hear or see it. You didn't know what they were doing otherwise. And that scene ran concurrently in the, like, so in the movie where he's crawling along the t- underneath the table and sees the murder. That's how Joe Leland sees that first murder as well. Yeah. So now I'm not going to lie to you, Phil. I'm going to be absolutely honest. I read three quarters of the book, then watched the film and then tried to carry on with the book. And I, I, d- I didn't get to the end. So you're going to have okay. to tell me. You're going to, I had to read this one because I couldn't get the audio book and I, I don't like reading. Boo-hoo. Yeah, boo-hoo for me so tell me did the end differ oh yeah massively did you get to the point where um stefan is murdered fuck me no okay then yeah so there's a massive difference uh, <laughs> <laughs> i should have carried on reading <laughs> jesus uh, i also well i didn't enjoy but um it always makes me laugh a little bit where there's like massive racism in films which you'd never get away with today when uh, when ellis goes into the office in the in the movie and he's going hey i don't care about the camel jockeys or the hebes and it's like mate have you got away with that <laughs> you'd never get away with that nowadays <laughs> just some of the language yeah so well actually one of the main differences in the book is that some of the terrorists that's what we'll call them terrorists just for the because that's what they were referred to uh like at least three of them were women and he and he kills the women and i think towards the end of the book i don't um i don't know whether how far you got he ends up basically he ends up on the roof and he's kind of trapped on the roof but he's kind of happy about it a little bit because you know he's on the roof but the end scene is well not the it's not even the end scene to be perfectly honest it's uh anton has got stephanie as a you know got a gun to her or whatever and there's the face off between them. Basically, the six million dollars they're stealing, and I suppose in nineteen seventy eight, six million dollars is probably sixty million dollars today. So a lot of money there. And you know, Stephanie's like, "I can shoot him, shoot him, Daddy, shoot him." And Joe's a little bit hesitant because he's broke. He's got cut up feet. He's been shot in the thighs, knackered, so on and so forth. And um, Anton shoots her, just shoots her from behind, like in the stomach. Bap, 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 bap. So then. He shoots Anton several times. And the scene at the end uh, of the movie where Anton falls through the window, but he's holding on to Holly's watch and he just undoes the Rolex. Well, that doesn't happen. He just takes her with him. Oh, shit. With Joe just watching a fall. Wow. Yeah. That's awful. Works well in in a written book, but I think in the film, especially for Hollywood, that wouldn't have worked, especially in the 80s. I think that would have been frowned upon. No, because you need the happy ending, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Even today, that wouldn't work, I don't think. Uh, yes and no. I mean, probably not. The, the one thing that winds me up a little bit is, and we had this in The Running Man as well, and you can go back into our back catalogue and check out our versions of The Running Man book versus movie. But in The Running Man, he must have been battered 
to high heaven. Like that geezer was battered, shot, stabbed, set on fire, been awake seven days, ate no food and was still fucking battling, right? Broken ankle and still running around and stuff, right? And then in, and in the book as well and in the film, he's probably been awake a day, a day and a half been shot his feet were ripped apart no food no drink and he's still functioning he does he does address it in the book though he does address the fatigue and how and the, the, the other guys are only probably coping because they've managed to find the cocaine and the amphetamines yeah no and he's trying like, to keep up with the people who are high high off the fucking faces yeah, but then at the same time lower the level of like injuries because like let me tell you richie right after like say 36 hours of being awake i'm not going to be very functional regardless of if i think people are going to kill me or not at some point i'm going to go i don't give a fuck if they kill me i'm fucking dead on my feet i'm knackered my feet are all slashed to bits i've been shot in the leg all i've eaten is a fucking milky way and a mars bar and i haven't had an actual drink of anything since fucking two days ago but oh, oh, but don't worry, I can still break someone's neck. No, make it a bit more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come on, no. I, I agree, but it's an action movie of the 80s. No, I'm talking about the book because the movie, the movie was like kind of time-wise, time frame-wise, it was over in a couple of hours, you know what I mean? You can kind of allow for yeah, that. But like the book, it's like it's giving you the breakdown. Oh, he's been awake for 26 hours. You're like, no sleep, no feet, no food, no drink. Hasn't, yeah. hasn't even had a wank. <laughs> and he goes into so much detail and it's like the, the bit with the hose pipe when he throws himself off the building it's kind of like it happens in just like the space of a minute in the film and he goes into so much fucking detail in the book about it and I still didn't understand exactly what he was fucking doing until I watched the film and this is the thing isn't it it's like if you're writing a book you've got you've got to pad you've got to pad your shit out ain't you otherwise you've got a pamphlet he's got to pad that shit out <laughs> True, yeah. and to be fair right if he would have done it as a side by side and had the bad guys doing bits and the bad guys are looking for him and the, the, you could have avoided all of the nonsense and you could have had a more succinct kind of thing and I think that's where the film differs better towards the book I must say but yeah I was uh, just having a look through my extensive notes which I've made and like virtually if you've watched the film it kind of runs pretty much exactly how the book goes uh, there's, there, there are slight differences which we've discussed and you know kind of like how people are killed or maybe a little bit different like for instance like as I said you don't see the hostages you never see them except for one part of the book where he sneaks down and he has a look and then he escapes again but like you know the whole the bit in the film where he puts the C4 pushes the monitor down the, the shaft and blows everything up that's the same uh, and it's the same conversation with the cop, you know, is the building on fire? No, it's not. So the only difference is there's no rocket launchers in the book where the bad guys are rocket launching the tank and stuff like that. I don't think they've got rocket launchers there. The FBI aren't involved like they are in the film. So, you know, it's a bit beefed up for the movie, as you would expect. Uh, and it's probably because it was 10 years since it was made, you know, it's made a little bit better, I suppose, or, you know, put that kind of decades worth of spin on it. But yeah, I mean, mostly it's pretty much the same. I did right here slower pace than the movie it's very of course it is but yeah the one difference in the book as well which i found bizarre was when he's talking to the copper he's like yeah the tv stations are broadcasting everything you say it's like surely the police would be like no you can't do that yeah like, that that was weird yeah, yeah he, was he kind of like asked him he said do you know are you going to be speaking to the media i know you're in the, the middle 
of the, this, what's going on, but are you going to be speaking to the media? No. Yeah. No, you get rid so. of the media. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, in today's day and age, that would be happening, wouldn't it? You'd be like live on Facebook from, from uh, floor 33. But um, there's, a, there's a note I made here. I can't find it now, which is bizarre. But I'd wrote legend status. He's chirps in a bird while he's just killed seven people and he's got another seven trying to kill him because he's having a chat with Kathy on the radio. So, mate, what are you doing? Oh, here we go. Ultimate legend status. Starts chirps in the air hostess on the radio. Begin broadcast on TV just after killing seven people. Basically, they ask him if there's anyone who can confirm who he is. So, yeah. So, he's like, yeah, get that air hostess. I was chatting up earlier on. and just Yeah, sure, confirm. Yeah, Yeah. so so just amongst all of that, he's just chatting earlier up he's just like fucking he's a legend he's a 60 year old bloke just just killed seven people got another seven people after him but hold on lads i gotta sort myself out for tomorrow ledge yeah just want to read this this bit from the the book that stood out to me i think he's just entered the party or something like that. He put, he, then it starts something special they put something over on the arabs or somebody the place is full of young cunt kids <laughs> Everything I got, everything I got to make that call before that turkey out there goes gobble gobble gobble. Made no fucking sense to me, but whatever. Well, I'd highlighted a part. This is one of the first interactions between Joe and the captain. Dwight, Dwayne Robinson. Now listen, fuck. Dwayne the Rock Robinson. Dwayne the Rock Robinson. Now listen, fuckhead. No. Leland screamed. You listen to me. You've got six psychos holding 75 people at gunpoint. And they've had enough high explosive to flatten this end of the city. What they don't have is the means to detonate it because of me. They're down to half their strength because of me. And as long as I'm in business, they can't get themselves set up the way they'd like to. <laughs> it's just listen. Yeah, brilliant. You listen to me, fuckhead. <laughs> the, oh, th- this bit made me cre- I, d- I don't know if it's the author not knowing how to be around women or it may be a bit socially awkward around women or what but the way he wrote this just made me cringe he put I'd better get back to my seat you have a nice day tomorrow I think we're going to be friends we're going to enjoy each other (laughs) (laughs) who the fuck who the fuck talks to someone like that we're going to enjoy each other and touches her arm and oh fuck me mate that's just cringe yeah no cringe yes I think it's probably just it was probably just the style of the time because like look at look at when was it uh, was it Jackie Collins did Riders she weren't saying things like that was she she was fucking going a bit more hardcore than that so it's just I suppose it was of the time yeah potentially I thought I just think if you if I'd I said that and acted that way to someone today. It'd be on Facebook, and I'd be a, I'd be a, uh, a creep. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. Again, it's like you say, it's one of the times when you watch films from the sixties, the fifties, the way they acted. Nobody fucking acted. Did they act like that really, or was it just the way people acted in films? I don't know. Maybe people were like that. So I mean, I think I think that probably covers. A majority of the differences, really, doesn't it? I mean, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what was your takeaway from the book and the movie? My takeaway was that not all action films from the eighties have aged badly. I didn't, I didn't really like the book. I, I think that I think the the film has aged really well, but the book didn't. Okay, okay, that's interesting. I think my main takeaway was I don't think 
the movie is as bad as I thought it was. I probably enjoyed it more again. I think I think the movie is what the story is what the story needed. I think he had this big picture in his head and he tried his best to to describe it all. And then when they made the movie, he, he probably sat there and went, "Yeah, yeah, that's it. That, that 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 that's what I was thinking." I think very similar to our first episode, which is do androids dream of electric sheep versus Blade Runner, where I think the the movie brought to life the book didn't it? Even though there was yeah. a lot of differences yeah. in that as well, and storyline-wise as well, a lot of differences, but it kind of brought it to life. But I'll, I will still maintain that Die Hard's pretty overrated, and there's still probably about 50 other action films from the 80s that I'd watched before I chose to watch that one. I would say, look at them with the eye of... If you watch them now for the first time, have they aged well? There's very few action films from the eighties that have, that I could watch now and go, "Wow, that that that's that that's still good." Well, I think I think it, it it's still within the realms of believability, isn't it? I think that's that's yes. But then, yeah, but yeah, then yeah. do you really want realms of believability in an action film? I'd much prefer to watch Commando than Die Hard any day of the week, even though Commando is completely bollocks. Like the man jumping out. <laughs> the fucking plane and stuff and then running off you're like come on mate but nevertheless i still enjoy watching commando but that's what i said arnie has to kill 500 people in the in the movie so let's go on to our recast part is there anyone that you would recast in any of the roles richie i'm gonna be very unpopular for this go for it but i'd recast Alan Rickman. Yeah, but who would you be having? I don't know. Just someone German, I think. Someone German. I just don't think Alan Rickman fitted the part. Well, I disagree massively. However, if you're going to recast, you have to put somebody in. You can't just go, I don't know. I'm just, I've got, <laughs> I don't I'd know. Have, um, I, don't, I don't know any German actors, that's the thing. But it'd, it'd have to be someone German, I think, or Austrian. So you want Arnold Schwarzenegger in there, do you? Arnold Schwarzenegger as the as the the bad guy that who called? I don't think he'd be clever. No, because he'd need to come over as a clever uh, someone that clever and a leader. He, he just he's just a brute. You know who? If we were going to do a swap, cause not recast, because I think Alan Rickman was great in this movie. But if you're going to do a swap, I would have put Robert Davi as Hans Gruber. Well, but not called him Hans, you know, had him as the American because, uh, and he was, he was the FBI agent, if you recall, in Die Hard, but he's a great bad guy and he was in License to Kill. I think he's probably one of Bond's best ever bad guys as well. I think he's just, he's got the charisma and the coolness and the calmness that you need for the role, which Alan Rickman brought. And I don't think there's any need to change. Uh, to be honest, I don't think there's any need. Adolf Hitler. Oh, for, Would have been brilliant. Oh, for fuck's sake, edit that out, you dickhead. Fuck you know. No, no, I stand by what I say. I think Hitler would have been a brilliant bad guy, to be honest. I don't know if you saw that thing he did in the early 1900s. I think it was called uh, World War Two or something like that. He played an absolutely brilliant bad guy in that. Fuck me. Oh, God. Um... But no, I, I thought I thought everyone I thought it was extremely well cast actually, to be perfectly honest. I don't think there's anyone that I would have changed. If there had to be a change, like if you said you have to change one person, I'd probably take Bruce Willis out and maybe put Kurt Russell in. I think Kurt Russell would play that role just as well. 
Yeah, just as well. Though. I don't think it'd need to be done. I mean, yeah, like I say, if, if you had to, yeah. If you've got to choose you had one to. person, yeah, yeah. I'd probably put Kurt Russell in instead of Bruce Willis. I would be interested to see the three the different films with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis and Frank Sinatra, just to see how they would have turned out against each other. That would have been interesting. Mm, yeah. I think Frank uh, when you when you look at the story, I think... You think Frank Sinatra is not an action hero, but when you look at the story, I think it could have worked because he was he was a retired policeman. He's he's obviously in his fifties, sixties, and Frank Sinatra could have probably pulled that off. Well, no, because by then he was like seventy odd. So we, we, was he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but then again, there wasn't there wasn't playing it as the book, were they? So it was no, you know, it was cool. No, so yeah, so recast. So basically, you say you'd change Alan Rickman for you don't know who. And um, I think actually, right, I'll tell you this, Em, right? If you were going to recast it in today, right, if it was a complete remake, you'd have Christoph Waltz, wouldn't you, as Hans Gruber? Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. If you were going to do a today's casting. It'd have been perfect. Yeah, but yeah, but it yeah. also would have been about 12 in 1988. So yeah, it wouldn't have been true, perfect, would true. it? No. But today. Maybe he's dad. <laughs> 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 I, I understand you work at a local bakery, however. <laughs> oh, gosh. Right, and so we've got a soundtrack. So we always do the soundtrack. What what song or album? Because there wasn't really, there wasn't really any music. Uh, there was the bit at the very start with the limo driver and he's going, this has got all the mud cans. It's got the, it's got the this, it's got, it's got the CD player. And then he puts a tape in. You're like, mate, you've just said you've got a CD player. What are you putting a tape in for, you loser? But he was playing, I don't know, some kind of California rap i don't know i mean what what song um, that was run dmc oh was it run dmc was it i wasn't sure yeah i knew that you'd know but i wasn't sure but if you if you take an album an album to go with the film um i don't know i should have really thought about that well i mean this is your kind of bit isn't it richie i do have um i do have a song actually uh and if you can in the edit you can like maybe like play a little bit um uh, no, if it's a popular song, I can't. Oh no, mate, ain't fucking popular. Hold on, I'll just find it because it's in my uh, it's in my workout playlist, and I'll just find it for you. It's called "Out in the Field" by Gary Moore. I think that would be a pretty cool song. And if you don't know Gary Moore out in the field, go and have a listen and you go, ah, yes, I understand his selection now, which is fantastic, even if I do say so myself. A bit of maybe a, a mixed type of 80s power, power rock, like um, Survivor and that type of thing that usually goes with that type of move in the 80s anyway. Yeah, but the thing is, it's like, it's it's not the kind of film where you need music. I mean, scores, yeah, but like an actual song, there isn't, anywhere where you can put it in is there really only at the very end which is what Stallone always did very well at end of a Stallone film you have that power ballad by his brother bang lovely jubbly or anything by Stan Bush in the middle of that and uh you live in the dream yeah I agree it doesn't it doesn't need a soundtrack it did it, it just a, a good score and I think it 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 did have one so I don't think there'd be really much I'd change about the music to be honest and to be honest I didn't even notice music 
in all fairness. Which is what you need. You do, it's meant it's meant to it's it's meant to just accompany the film. You're not yeah. really supposed to notice it. So I think it did it perfectly. Uh, good stuff. So and then penultimately. Richie, which is better, the book or the movie? For me, the movie. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. Okay. I would say. Okay, it's interesting because I've kind of, up until I watched it again yesterday, which my daughter went, "What? You, you've already seen this before. What are you watching it again for? I've gone because I got to do the podcast. And I was yeah, but you've already seen it. It's like, yeah, but I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember everything. I'm gonna watch. I didn't take notes last time. No, but that but that's the whole thing. It's like it's weird because that was that's the first time that I've watched the film and really been impressed. Like before mm. I've not been impressed. Strange. It is strange. And I'd imagine you've watched it more than once. Oh, dozens of times, mate, yeah. But like I would always and I've always said I would always pick any Seagal, any Van Damme, any Stallone, any Schwarzenegger eighties film over that one. Any of them. Even their worst I'd pick over Die Hard to watch to to, to like rewatch. You know what I mean? But it was, yeah, it was a lot better than what I remember, uh, which is very bizarre. But I also think that the book is a completely different story. So it's very difficult to go, oh yeah, the movie's much better than the book because you get something completely different from the book. You know what I mean? If it was like when we did Watchmen, as an example, it was panel for panel, weren't it? You know what I mean? It was exactly the same. Yeah, word for word. Yeah, exactly. Word for word, panel for panel. It was exactly the same. And so you go, well, okay, maybe I enjoy... You can't pick because it's exactly the same. And maybe Matilda was... There was a couple of differences, but not very much. But it's difficult because they are too... It's not Running Man different. No, well, no. Somewhere in between. I mean, the story's the same. No, 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 no you're right there because The Running Man was a completely different book uh, and a completely different story. And actually, I never liked Ben Richards in the uh, in the book. I thought he was a prick, which I think I always thought John McClane was a massive prick. But actually, that's only because he's a massive prick in two and three, which I never understood that actually as a child, because I'd seen Die Hard and Die Hard 2. And then when Die Hard with a Vengeance came out and he's this like, bum, drunk geezer in a fucking wife-beating vest. And you're like, how is he not a hero? You know what I mean? How is this geezer not like lauded and how has he not been promoted and how has he not got a better life because he's done all these great things and stopped all these terrorists and he's just some fucking drunk geezer in the back of a van. Like, the fuck is wrong with this geezer? And maybe that's just me tainted on his character, which is why I just did, decided I didn't like Die Hard because he's a knobhead. But that being said, I don't know because I enjoyed the book and I don't know whether I enjoyed the book because I was sitting on a beach in Cyprus or whether I got something else from the book that I didn't from the film. I don't know. It didn't work for me personally, mm-hmm. but um, this podcast wouldn't work very well if we were both exactly the same so well, no but I mean but that's the thing I think I think I'm at a 50-50 because it's different enough for me to say the two different for me to pick over it or which one's mm. better well, I can score them both quite easily I'd score uh, Die Hard 7.5 and the book 5 oh okay if we're going to do a score then okay uh, yeah so okay so I, well, I'd give the movie I'd give it a 7 then yeah I'd give it a 7 and I'd give the book a 6 there we go yeah Okay. I just love how I could see he had a good vision for the story in the book, but I, I just wasn't getting, I just wasn't seeing what he was seeing until I watched the film. And so I love how the film just brought the whole story alive. I think it's good to do, but I think it's good to do both because I think watch the film first. So then when you come to the book, you can picture everything that, that's going on. You can follow it better. Well, it's like that, to be honest, Richard. I think something that we've done throughout 
uh, throughout this podcast and I think if you uh, if you look back at things like we just mentioned like The Running Man which are two different stories completely or if you look at The Firm when we did The Firm the uh, the Tom Cruise film and is it sorry is it uh, Crichton who wrote The Firm is it? I can't remember. No, I can't remember it. But that was kind of almost exactly the same, wasn't it? It was very much like a kind of a panel for panel, word for word kind of thing, just brought to life, so to speak, you know, just brought the book to life. And the same with uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, Mrs. Doubtfire, the book to the film, Robin Williams brought that book to 100% life. And you'd never read that book again, would you? But you'd watch that film every single time. And I think that's what you need, isn't it? You need the your cast to be perfect to bring that book to life or at least the vision of the director to bring the book to life and the same with uh, the same with Hellraiser and it's when we did the Hellraiser uh, book I mean I've, I've seen Hellraiser like a hundred times but when I read that book I was like fuck me that's made the film even better because you just understand yeah, it so much I more agree. I agree th- I think certain books complement the film and mm. Hellraiser that that was one the, the film was phenomenal the book was phenomenal and together they complemented each other perfectly. You need to, if, if you love the film, you need to read the book. And I think that's what we do this podcast. It's, you know, we, we read the book so you don't have to, unless we tell you, you should. Yeah. And in that, that case, I, I would highly recommend reading, um, it wasn't called Hellraiser, what it was called, um, Hellbound the, Heart. The Hellbound Heart. I'd also recommend you go back and listen to our podcast as well. Oh, that was a brilliant episode. We had a, we had a, an actual Cenobite join us, oh, didn't yeah. we? We had Simon Bamford join us, Butterbean. Yes, indeed. Mm, Butterbean. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I think we pretty much dissected that as, as much as we as we can. I think we have, yes. Um, who was your favourite character in the book and the movie? I mean, it, it it's... it's... <sighs> Okay, which was my favourite protagonist out of the two, which was my favourite um, villain. Well, my, my favourite protagonist would would be John McClane. Okay, over Leland. Okay, yeah. And my favourite, and I preferred the the villain in the book. Well, I suppose in the book, I guess it's going to be Joe Leland. I preferred, and but I much preferred Alan Rickman. I thought he was fantastic. It's just completely the other way around for you. Yeah, it is. It's bizarre, yeah. It is bizarre. <laughs> but you know, but but this is this is people's interpretations, isn't it, Richie? And that's yeah. why we we sit in our houses away from our families <laughs> on a Sunday for two and a half hours and chat shit. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it sounds very coherent when people listen back to this because I've edited the shit out of it. Oh, marvellous, good lad. Yeah. You've cut it down to an hour and 45. Good lad, you lad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this has been quite an adventure. I've enjoyed it. And next time... Yeah, me too. Next time you, you want to do First Blood, Rambo. Yeah, listen, right, I can't believe, right, I can't believe that you went to Turkey for like three weeks and didn't fucking read any of these books. I, I didn't go to Turkey to read. I went to drink. Yeah, you can fucking, I, listen, I was on holiday for 10 days and I read two fucking books in like four days while I sat there drinking cocktails well. and playing shuffleboard. <laughs> I'm not, again, I'm not a big reader. I don't like sitting down reading. When I got back from Turkey, I thought I'd just download the audiobook and found out there was no audiobook. Okay, right. So just to announce to all of our listeners, what you said is, I'm not a big reader. I'm on a <laughs> podcast about reading fucking books. This is 2023. You don't need to read books anymore. You can listen to them. Apart from this book, you can't fucking listen to this. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're going to do Rambo. Oh, no, not Rambo. It's First Blood versus First Blood. Yeah. Okay. 
And that's what it's called. The, the book is called First Blood. The book is called First Blood and nice. the movie is called First Blood. It's not called Rambo. I haven't seen the film for about 20 years, so I'll be interested to go back and check it out. If you want to check us out, you want to go and follow us, you can find us uh, on Twitter and all the socials. Um, you can email us at, what was it? Adapted to screen at gmail.com. Okay, and you can give us some suggestions, let us know what you thought. Uh, subscribe to us all over the place, wherever you are listening to this right now, please subscribe. We would love you to death. So, this has been the Adapted to Screen podcast. Nothing lasts forever versus Die Hard. Thank you very much, Phil, for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. As always, brother. So your lady live out here? About the past six months. Why'd you go with her, man? What's up? Because I'm a New York cop. Can't just pick up and go that easy. John, I missed you. You can walk out of here or be carried out, but have no illusions. We are in charge. Think, damn it, think. We've got a fire alarm. I told all of you I want radio silence. Sorry, I didn't get that message. Mayday, terrorists have seized the Nakatomi Plaza. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Possible crank call. Check the area confirmed. No signs of disturbance, dispatch. Welcome to the party, pal! You really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee guy. You hang in there. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs.